there's a difference between learning and experiential learning. Experiential learning, you get knocked down, you get kind of bloodied. Maybe you're an addict for a while. Maybe you go through broken relationships and blame it on other people. And so I think in order to have like true purpose, there has to be three or four things. There has to be emotional inventory. There has to be self-awareness. There has to be a connection with a higher power of some sort. It doesn't have to be mine, just your higher power, whatever you believe. And there has to be the, the curiosity and humility that we've talked about. That's me and this is you on the Wellness Wisdom Podcast, episode number 447. Wellness Wisdom, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life? Wellness, I think, is a combination of understanding your own internal wants, needs, and desires. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Understanding that we are a piece of nature, you know, nature is where we belong, I think is a very comforting thing to understand that would certainly feed into wellness well. Welcome to the podcast. This is Josh Trent, and you're here on Wellness Wisdom. This is the place every single week, every single time you tune in, you will receive the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial intelligence you and I need to live our life well. This is essentially the place where we explore the Pentagon of wellness. So by the time you leave this podcast, you'll be more intelligent and embodied than when you started. Today is episode 447, where Dr. Doug Brackman interviews me on his podcast, I Am Driven. And we're talking about embodying higher frequencies to live your purpose. It's been quite some time since I shared my voice on another show, but we covered such profound and timeless ground on this episode. There's so much value for you here. I was inspired to share this podcast, both audio and video. So if you've not subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you head over there, youtube.com forward slash wellness force if you like watching podcasts on video. Because today we're asking a big question, the answer around what does it mean to be driven? What does that exactly mean? What is a healthy way to have ambition and drive in this world without unhealthy self-sacrifice and harm of self? In other words, how do you live your dream and your purpose without hurting yourself? If that question sparked curiosity for you, I know it has for me for quite some time. It's going to be an exceptional conversation for you and your friends or anyone to take home and to take to heart. And speaking of heart and heart health and heart-based living, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. It truly means the world to myself and the entire team. We're offering incredible discounts on the store page, joshtrent.com forward slash store. All the products you might be purchasing, we just want to save you some more money including gut-healthy snacks that are keto and paleo, gluten-free, adaptogenic plant superfoods, EMF mitigation, mental health. You name it, we got it in the store page. You'll find discounts there that you won't find anywhere else because I've been in the podcast world for so long. We've grandfathered our savings that no other podcasts can do, up to 40% on various brands. Your support means the world to us, and I want to hook you up. I want to save you some money so you can take that money and be more well. Go to joshtrent.com forward slash store joshtrent.com forward slash store to get all the products. Right now, I'm really stoked on the Feel Free, the wellness tonic with the kava. That's been my favorite. It's focused euphoria at joshtrent.com forward slash store. And the conversation is led today by Dr. Doug Brackman, one of the leading psychologists for some of the most successful and driven entrepreneurs, pro athletes, executives, and other top performers. After he earned dual PhDs in psychology in 2002, Dr. Doug devoted the last 15 years plus to working with the driven population in order to help them focus their gifts to achieve personal and professional success. This is a authentic and at times vulnerable conversation from me to you, where you're going to take home the different frequencies and emotions that drive you, that drive all of us. I'll talk about what those frequencies are in a practical way, we'll explore our soul contracts and the role that addiction played in my life through these lower frequencies and how I have walked my path to transcend them. We'll talk about safety being an illusion, why we're designed to be round, not square. We live in a round world, but sometimes we have square thinking. And in order to live our life well, we must love ourselves. I share self-love practices that truly make a difference, including the power of breathwork, and specific practices around self-love you can do right now today to feel better about you. We'll also explore God and the embodiment of spirituality by being humble 
and we'll talk about being careful of unearned wisdom. This is a concept I've been sharing quite a bit this year after my experience with ayahuasca and plant medicine. Listen, you'd never take an astronaut into outer space with no training, right? So why would you do that to yourself in any capacity? when it comes to psychedelics or your own wellness. We'll end the show. Make sure you listen to the end by talking about embodying purpose in four steps. Ultimately, this conversation, you have my promise, will lead you to a much closer space of what is the truth about you and your own happiness so you yourself can live at a higher frequency. And I promise it won't be the woo-woo stuff. (laughs) Even though though I love woo-woo, I love woo-woo. But this is a practical show with our feet on the ground and our head poking above the clouds. All the resources, links, and the show notes today are found at joshtrent.com forward slash 447. Make sure you say what's up on Instagram. Let us know you're part of the global community as we move closer to knowing ourselves. Awesome. So we have with us today, Josh Trent, CEO of Wellness Force and um, owner of the Wellness Force podcast. Is it the Wellness Force podcast, Josh? What's it called? It is Wellness Force yeah. Podcast. It used Nailed to be it. radio, but I dropped the radio just like Facebook dropped the Facebook. Like yes. We usually cut away all that doesn't matter. Very good. Very good. Um, so yeah, we love to start with like a little elevator pitch or just give the audience your rundown of who you are. Well, who I am today uh, hopefully is way different than who I am a year from now. But today... I'm the CEO of Wellness Force Media. So it's a company we produce audio and video content that helps people, men and women, discover this physical and emotional intelligence so they can live life well. And intelligence is not how smart you are. It's your ability to gather, apply, and most importantly, embody. So that's who we are as a company. That's what I'm all about personally. And so we just create a great ton of media that helps people with that. Physical intelligence, man, that that is awesome so thank you thank you yeah in my language it's called wisdom yes yes intelligence gets thrown around a lot but uh i think it's true meaning is different what the etymology likes to present good so you are driven yeah uh you would say that (laughs) You, you did say that and i would say that yes and and um i really enjoyed taking your assessment uh, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Um, I'm looking forward to diving in more to this PDF and understanding my it almost looks like a spider web. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah. I'm driven. Uh, that's the short answer. When did you first realize that you were maybe a little bit different from peers? I always had a really hard time taking orders from people that I didn't respect and I always wondered why people didn't have a problem uh, taking orders from people that they didn't respect. Now, when I respect someone that's different, I, I definitely enjoy taking wisdom and steps from them. But I think I was probably six years old, seven years old when I didn't, I knew I didn't like school. <laughs> I knew I didn't like being bullied. I was bullied a lot when I was younger. And I really. <laughs> I really started to drive towards unhealthy things Mm. because a a personality that's driven that doesn't have an outlet that's healthy can drive really fast into addictions and to things that aren't of service. So um, from six all the way up until 25, that was a big life learning curve for me to then find what I was driven about. And that was wellness. And that was where I really poured myself into something that was good for me and was good for other people. How did your parents deal with that? Were they driven to like, did they understand kind of the learning curves you were going through? Or was that difficult for them? My mom, my mom's contract here on earth, her sole contract was that she had a, a bipolar disorder. And so she never really had um, a lot of driven qualities hmm. because she was struggling to find her center. Now she's a very loving person. She's a very wonderful person. My dad was very driven, but I think a lot of his drive, I, I never really understood. He was a um, operator and then worked his way up to be the director of operations for San Diego Transit, which is the major transit um, uh, city service in San Diego. So it was a pretty big deal. I, I would say he was driven, but I think he always had an extremely challenging time managing his health, his relationships, and his emotional and mental health. Um, he kind of paid the price of those 
to be driven to drive mm-hmm. up the ladder in his company. Mm-hmm. So they they didn't really have. Uh, my dad left when I was very young, two months old, and so they never had a cohesiveness together. So they weren't able to really deal with my drivenness as a couple. They dealt with me individually. My mom dealt with my lack of channeling from my driven energy by me probably being a pain in the ass. <laughs> and then my dad dealt with it by, I think, just working all the time. And I think mm. just not really being present. Mm-hmm. Wow. So do you know my story a little bit? I don't, but so I'm excited to. dropped out and lived in a car. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I, I went down the path of addictions early. And I'm uh. incredibly grateful I did because it, it forced me to make some decisions about um, really owning my own behavior and that internal attribution that there's something going on with me that I can do something about. True for you? Yes. Something going on with me that I can do something about. I think the if you look at David Hawkins' work, and you understand the the frequencies of each emotion and how we embody an emotion, the lowest possible frequency in the entire world is shame. Yep. And so as you climb the ladder from shame upwards to love, there's many rungs of the ladder that we have to grip and we have to learn how to climb on. And so it's not until about 250 on a frequency basis that we actually get to courage. And so I think some of us, maybe me and you, Doug, we had to kind of rifle around in these lower frequencies so that we became so uncomfortable that we'd actually get to the frequency of anger because anger to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator two anger is more powerful than despair. So we have to be in despair for a while. We have to be disassociated from self. We have to be addicted to things that aren't loving so that we can feel the deep, dark contrast that then leads us up to anger that then gets us to courage and then moves us closer to love, closer to purpose. But for some of us, we, we stay there for a long time, you know, and I, I stayed there for a long time myself. And I, I think it's just because it's a way to feel safe when we're addicted to something outside of ourselves, then we don't have to inhabit our own body. It's familiar. We don't have to, yeah. When we don't have to inhabit our own body, mm-hmm. then um, we can always have a perceived safety, but safety is an illusion. There's no such thing as safety. So that's a whole nother philosophical podcast we could do, but long long answer to your short question. We should talk about safety a little bit. Um, You said that safety is an illusion. Can you say more about that? In my experience, when I've um, white knuckled or over controlled or tried to make my life and my work and my career and everything as safe as humanly possible, uh, that white knuckling and that um, excessive control for safety there's a, there's a cost that's paid for that. And maybe it's my health, maybe it's my physical or mental health, maybe it's my relationships. But anytime I'm trying to stick things in a square box uh, that were designed to be round because the earth is round, relationships are round, everything moves in circles. We're, we're around life, we're around humanity. We live in a, a world that's round and we have square thinking. We're always trying to put things in boxes all the time. And so that um, causes friction. And so I think that safety is an illusion because, yes, there's certain proactive things we can do to be safe. You know, we can take care of ourselves. We can buy firearms. We can take firearms training. We can know how to operate in communities. We can be an asset instead of a liability. But also we have to honor the mystery. We have to honor God. We have to honor higher intelligence, not some bearded dude in the sky. But we have to honor the mystery of life. And, and the mystery of life means that we're not always safe. Why do babies die? Why do, why do terrible things happen? We just don't know. We have to honor it. We have to honor the mystery. Beautiful. That is, yeah, as I teach, it's uh, safety is an external thing and it's only present in one place. Do you know where? Uh, it's going to be either heart or mind or both. No, it, it's, it's, it's right here, right now. Yes. And it's nowhere else. And 99.99999% of the time, we are in, in, in this present moment, we are safe. It's a state of being, which frees us then from whatever frequency we're inhabiting or happening in our central nervous system is then allowed to actually match reality, which is you know, wonderment and safety and, and 
round us, as you say, the circuit. <laughs> yeah, we can go deep. This is this is so at 25, I'm dying. What was your your wake up moment? It was actually at 21. I was drinking at a party. I just 30 second story here. Um, I found football in high school. It was a way for me to get out my aggression and my rage. Um, but then when high school was over, I didn't have another space to get that out. And so to no surprise, without the right tools, without the right intelligence, without embodying the things that I didn't even know I needed yet, um, I was 280 pounds. I was in this job that I hated. I was a Mercedes Benz technician and working on luxury automobiles. And I was in a relationship where she didn't love me and I was just lost. <laughs> I mean, health, wealth, relationships, career, everything was like this beacon, like pay attention, you know, just mm -hmm. a flashing beacon. <laughs> and I was at this party, Doug, and I, I was drinking and I looked down and my, I, I, I saw my belly pouring over my waist. And I just, I became so angry and so sad that I slammed the cup down and I ran home drunk three miles. And I <laughs> typed in something on the computer, like, how do I be healthy? And that was it. That was the turning point for me where I was sick of being in pain. I was sick of being tired. Um, I was sick of not listening to my soul's voice. And so that was really the massive turning point. And then, of course, it took me three years. It took me three years to go through many diets, um, some emotional intelligence training, some books, just really scratching the surface. And then at, at uh, 24 years old, I sold everything I owned and I moved out to Hawaii and I found the feminine energy of the ocean. Mm. And I experienced Hawaii and I, and I cooled off a lot of resentment and anger and just things that I didn't know how to process. And then at 25 years old, I came back to San Diego and spent the next 10 years as a personal trainer, as somebody in the fitness industry. So that was the beginning of my, I don't know if you'd call it awakening. I think we're all awakening slowly, but um, that was a big one. And that, that process of the three years of trials, tribulations and wallowing around in hell i mean that's the hell realms is so needed to it is kind of form us into what we're becoming mm -hmm. um so what happened at 25 you came back to san diego and then what i came back to san diego i still had a lot of demons that i was keeping in the shadow because i was shining light on other people and this happens a lot in the fitness yoga health space where with good intentions myself and a lot of people will be there and be of service to other people because it's a really secret and sinister place for our darkness to hide. Oh, that and, is powerful. And uh, we see it a lot. And I, and I reflect on that quite a bit. You know, I was a personal trainer by day, but I was chewing tobacco, smoking weed and drinking by night. And yeah, I looked healthy on the outside, but I didn't really love myself. I didn't even know what self-love was. And I sure as hell didn't know to help people through that kind of a lens either. So it took a good 10 years of me slowly gathering in my company and on my podcast. And with my clients, we talk about the gather, the apply and the embodiment model, which I think is the, the model of intelligence. I gather, I apply, and then I embody. But sometimes we all get stuck. And I did for sure stuck in the gathering phase where I'm just going to like read all the books and go to all the conferences and do all the things and get the, get a degree and get a certification, but I'm not actually going to apply it. I'm not actually going to do it for myself. Uh, and then if I don't do that, I can't embody. So that took about 10 years of gather, apply, and then I would embody certain things. And sometimes that embodiment can only really be felt by others by, by practicing. So if I'm not if I'm not walking my talk, if I'm not eating my own dog food, if I'm not having hard conversations with my partner, Carrie, if she and I are moving through a threshold in our relationship and I fall back into old patterns, um, this, I don't think it ever stops is what I'm saying, Doug. I don't, I don't think the learning ever stops. I just think that we slowly become more aware. We slowly become more embodied because we're committed to the cycle. You know, we're committed to constantly gathering and applying. That is, uh, Spoken truth for the driven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've obviously surrounded yourself with fellow driven that uh, share this passion for personal growth. I mean, it, it, it's amazing to watch someone else on the driven path that is uh, speaking this 
talking the talk, but it's walking the walk. What is your daily practice? What do you do every day? I'm, I, I, I promise the audience that we're going to try to define embodiment. I, um, I could probably help you with that. It's a really, I mean, embodiment is kind of a spiritual term. We'll save that for a moment later. So in the morning, I'm fortunate enough. I have a sauna and I have a cold tank in the garage. And so I have my gym in the garage as well. I have my squat rack. I have all my stuff. And so I start my day. I hydrate. I actually use a product called Element. It's really good. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's, mm. it's basically just sodium. It's just salt, salt and water. You could do salt water and lime. I built a practice for people and for myself that I do too. And I'll tell you guys exactly what it is and people can get it for free. You wake up, you, you make your bed. That is the first thing. There was a Navy Admiral that has a YouTube talk. I think it's got like 10 million views or 15 million views. McCraven. And he did all, what's that? That's McCravens. Yeah. Okay, McCravens. So yeah. he said that in, in the limbic system, when we get a little a little reward for hard work, if we start our day like that, it primes the brain for for achieving, but not in a frenetic way, like in a self loving, um, self compassionate way. So I wake up, make the bed first thing. That is number one. Then I hydrate. I get a big glass of water. This is like thirty two ounces, and I put the element, or if I don't have element, I do salt and lime. That's number two. Number three is I do my breath work and I do my breath work before I do my movement, before I do my journaling, before I do anything else because or my meditation, because breath work is something that has just changed my whole life. Like it rocked my world in 2016. It changed everything for me and for my company and just for my path. So after the breath work, then I do my meditation, then I do my movement, then I do my journaling and those practices that I shared with you guys. I do them most likely in that order. I always do the breath work before the meditation because when I started to learn from all these people in these 400 episodes on wellness force, I was like, what are all the world-class people doing? Like, what are they actually doing? Like, what's the, what's the most distilled wisdom I can hold from these people? And it was these six things and it's things that get thrown around a lot, but are we actually doing them? Mm -hmm. So I built a way for us to do it in about 20 minutes, 21 minutes, exactly. And um, that's what I do for, for my day. I also incorporate cold therapy. So there is an additional piece I put on that. Um, when I'm done with my six practices, then I do my workout. I do my training. And then when I'm done with my training, I'll sit in the sauna. If I don't have time for a big sauna, I'll do like 10 minutes. And then I'll do three minutes in the cold tank. And then I shower and start my day. But I, I love myself first so I can love other people and love other things and love what I do because on the days where I miss this, like let's say the baby keeps us up really late and I, I miss my morning. I notice it. It's like somebody, it's like somebody um, put a thorn in my side. It's mm. really interesting. So, but that's how I start my day. Most days, more, more than not. What time do you have to get up to love yourself that much in, <laughs> in the morning? I like seven. Well, that's not I like bad. seven a.m. Yeah, bad. Um, if I go earlier than that, I I feel really groggy, and I've played around with this a lot. You know, there's there's sleep doctors that talk about sleep archetypes, um, and I I I feel like I'm I think it's the dolphin was my archetype because I when I've done the really early morning, even if I go to bed super early, I just can't wake up. And I think it also, Megan, it matters with the seasons, because if you look mm. at circadian rhythm and circadian timing of all creatures on earth, most creatures, unless they're underworld creatures like bugs or cats, cats are pretty crazy. They follow the cycle of the sun. So whenever the sun comes up is a good time for us to wake up. It's a good time to love ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And so... Before embodiment, I will ask you very simply, and this is a deep rabbit hole, but it's a good one for people like you. What is your concept of God? Good answer. <laughs> My concept of God is an energetic being that loves and nourishes all things, but it does not lord it over them. And when I first heard that, it was from Alan Watts, and he took it from, from the Tao, from Lao Tzu's work. You know, the great Tao loves and nourishes all things, but it does not lord it over them. And I really felt that. And I, I give credit to that text because I don't want to plagiarize it and claim it as mine. But the energy of that is really what I believe God is. God is an 
is an omnipresent everywhere, everything, and God is actually everything and nothing at the same time, because you and I, all of us, we are points of consciousness. In, in my brand, we have a fractal graphic that we use a lot. We are all unique, billions and billions and hundreds of billions of, of points of consciousness that have come into the world that'll be here. There'll never be another Doug ever. There'll never be another Doug Brackman. There'll never be another Megan. There'll never be another Josh. So we get, we get this really special point of consciousness that's made in the image of God, but we are not God right? We're made in the image of God. So we have a deep connection to God, to, to the omnipresent universe, but we are not God ourselves. So that's, that can be a very challenging thing for nihilists to deal with, or even for Christians to deal with, to know that we are both God, but we are also not God because we were created in the image of God in that omnipresent energy. So Religion tends to divide people's thinking into two camps. You're either a believer or a non-believer. Uh, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a lot of anger towards God when I was a child. I actually, I don't know if we can curse on your podcast, but I said, F-U-C-K, God. <laughs> like, F-U, God, is what I said. And I was so angry because God couldn't fix my mother's illness. God couldn't make my dad come around. God couldn't make people stop bullying me. You know, people put all their faith in God. But what I had to realize over the course of time that's related to your answer is that I am God, not that I am the creator, but I am made in the image of God. Therefore, I am God, but I am not the creator. So that's my long winded definition of God. Yeah. Possibly one of the best answers I've ever heard. And that's saying something. I ask that question to a lot of people. Thank you. The foundation of, uh, really our core sense of identity and it's the solution to shame, which I could have called my book, the shame-based personality type is a driven person. We're wired to do a couple things. One is take way too much responsibility for our lives. We believe the world is happening to it. Like you said, there's some, there must be somebody in control here doing these things to me. And eventually it folds in on ourselves. The other thing is that, you know, we're wired to be constantly searching or seeking. And this, this is a bridge to embodiment. And so how does your concept of God meet with embodiment? There's a lot of talk in this world about gut health, but when it really comes to gut health, you don't always need supplements to make your internal world sparkly clean again. The majority of the time you can heal and nourish your gut simply by using the right foods and eating the right nutrients. For me and my family, when it comes to gut health, we start with food, specifically healthy, sustainable animal foods that are pasture-raised, organically spiced, and naturally fermented, like the pasture-raised turkey sticks from our partners and friends at Paleo Valley. Now, the naturally occurring probiotics is what truly sets these turkey sticks apart. Also, they taste amazing, and they satiate me. They're GMO-free, they have delicious flavor. This beautiful satiating protein is digested with every bite, this cage-free, free-range, pasture-raised poultry. It's the equivalent of 100% grass-fed cows. You can feel good and pick up your multi-pack of these pasture-raised turkey sticks over at joshtrent.com com forward slash paleo valley make sure you use the code josh that's j-o-s-h to get 15 percent off your entire order make your gut happy and stop being hangry no more hangriness joshtrend.com forward slash paleo valley use code josh to save 15 percent off your entire order from my friends at paleo valley how does your concept of god meet with embodiment that's one of the deepest questions i've ever been asked I hope that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and I like to clear my mind. That's why I do the breathing. And I, yeah. I, have, I have been involved in breath since 2015. So I was introduced to it by Mark Devine at one of his events. And so whenever I, I used to actually train myself to answer right away, like, like, you know, Doug, you asked me a deep question. I'll just start talking to fill space in my past without ever having the presence to truly answer you from a place of calmness. And I actually, I I promise I'll answer your question, but I was at a a men's retreat and we were shooting a long gun and I was shooting 800 yards and I've never shot a long gun in my life. And I was able to just truly relax and, and pull through the trigger and, and let the shock of the gun go through my body. And I hit the target three times 
And I'm like, and they were like, that's rare. <laughs> and I said, great. But it's because I, I paused and I, cause when I take something seriously, I really want to respect it by slowing down. So I want to respect your answer. Um, like I would respect a gun or I want to respect your question. Like I would respect a gun. So how do I, how do I take my definition of God and, and juxtapose it or dovetail it into embodiment? I have the sense that curiosity and curiosity and honoring those two things. If I, if I can be curious about my life and curious about what's going on from a place of wonderment, almost like, like Jesus would say, and I'm not a religious person. I just quote a lot of the Bible because I think there's some really great stuff in there. Um, Jesus said, come, come and learn with the heart and mind of a child and I will serve you. So, so really opening my heart and saying, well, what, what can I be curious about in this world? Like, why is this stuff going on or what is going on? And like make my life more of a prayer besides when I talk to God in the morning, like make my life a prayer to the best of my ability, which I'm not perfect at all. I'm not going to BS you. And then also, can I, can I honor the fact that I, I won't always get an answer? You know, I've done an ayahuasca journey many times and I've, I've asked ayahuasca, like, how do I, how do I make sense of this life? Like, what are we doing here? Like, what the hell is going on? Like, what is this? What is the meaning of all this? And the answer I've gotten back is you don't get to know. <laughs> like, like, like a playful kind of, like, you don't, yeah, like you don't get to know. So I think the way that I would, that I would dovetail my, my understanding of God and my understanding of embodiment is to take that curiosity and that honoring of the mystery and, and really offer those up to myself and to other people and say, can we have conversations about these two things? Because I think that's what allows us to, to gather and to apply wisdom and intelligence. And I think it, it gets embodied by us being able to talk about it without my way being right. You know someone's embodied when they don't have to prove to you that they're right. Oh, the connection between body, embodiment and humility. Yes. Yeah, humility is a state of being. And that, right. that is, that is, it's an embodiment of God is humility. Mm. I like that. And when we're humble, that's perceived sometimes with the wrong teaching as weak. Oh, so-and-so is humble. Oh. They're, they're weak. This is why you see Instagram where it's like everybody's spray tanned and, and women having to show their butt for likes. It's like what, we've lost our mind. We've literally lost our mind. Like those, those things don't make us valuable at all. Like what makes us valuable is, is this, what we're doing. This is, this, is val this is true value because we can feel it. You know, it's not something we need to pretend. So I, I really think that true embodiment is having conversations about those two things and doing it in a way where I don't have to prove to you guys that I'm right. You know, I'm curious what you feel, but I feel strongly about what I'm saying, but I'm also, I'm still curious about what someone else feels or what someone else has to say. That's embodiment. Hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you mentioned medicine work. You comfortable talking about it? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I might have. I might have a different opinion. I'm a licensed psychologist, so I'm always careful because I'll take my little stamp of paper away. Yes, um, but I am a, a huge advocate for, and I, I want to get your take on it. What does integration mean? The the immediate visual that snapped into my mind was in the Yucca Valley in the desert. There's this there's this huge dome called the Integratron and it's a, it was made by, I believe an astronaut or a physics, a physics scientist, a PhD. And when you go in there, if you sit in the middle of it and you, and you sing or you speak every single note or every single sound inside of the entire dome can be heard just as powerfully as if you were sitting anywhere else. In other words, it is a fully integrated, completely sealed capsule where all resonance and all frequency can be felt and experienced and heard from anywhere within that container, the same. And I think integrity is the same way when someone, and, no, and none of us are perfectly integral. <laughs> none of us have perfect integrity and in word, thought, indeed. None of us have perfect integration, but I think 
to take wisdom from a ceremony or to take wisdom from a psychedelic experience and integrate it here in the 3D reality or here on earth takes an incredibly mature person and, and takes an, a lot longer than most people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have followed Jordan Peterson at all, but he quotes some of the mystics that he learns from. And one of the big cautionary tapes that he shares with people before they do any psychedelics is be careful of unearned wisdom. Oh, powerful. Like be careful of unearned wisdom because when people go into ceremony, you are opening up your psyche to energies, to entities, to to realms that they are not to be messed with. Like the reason why we have a collective shadow and a personal shadow is because all these things are an aggregate of every human being that's ever lived, lives now and will ever live. So we have to be very cautious about who we sit with in a ceremony, what kind of medicine we do. I, I like to describe that there needs to be a preparatory phase for sitting with any kind of medicine, even if it's a micro dose or a macro dose. I'm talking breath work, loving kindness meditation, float tanks, Vipassana meditation. There's a lot of things that have to occur, in my opinion, before, before somebody runs to a ceremony. And, and even these ceremonies need to be facilitated in a more safe way as well. And I have seen tragedy happen by people who believe it's spiritual sightseeing and there's no, no cost. I mean, you are waking up your deep shadow stuff. Yeah. And, you know it'll show you how much work you have to do. And if you don't know how much work you had to do before, it is a nightmare trying to figure out what work you need to do to actually deal with some of the shit that comes up. And yes. uh, so audience hear that. Please. Yeah. One more, one more point on that too. So, so as a professional in mental health, we also have to be aware if like, for example, my mom was manic bipolar. I'm the only person in my family that at some point hasn't taken SSRIs. And I, and I, I attribute that to epigenetics, both emotionally and physically. It always fascinates me when people say, oh, if your dad had cancer or if your mom had diabetes, then you'll have it too. I think that's complete horseshit. I, I don't believe in that at all. I think that genetics load a gun and then and then we pull the trigger by mm-hmm. either either exercising or eating crappy foods, blah, blah, blah. Well, or I think the same. The gun. What's that? Or we can unload the gun. Or we can unload the gun. Or we can just put the gun, lock it, lock it away and never use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like so so I think epigenetics play play this out e- emotionally. So when it comes to a ceremony, we have to be really cautious of Am I taking the unhealed wounds and the unaddressed traumas of my father, my mother, or my grandmother, or my grandfather? Am I taking that unconsciously into the ceremony? Because that stuff will come up. I had a very deep connection with my grandfather in ceremony. I mean, it brought me to tears. You know, he was an Italian-American general in the Marine Corps. He was a brigadier general. And um, I just, I felt the suffering of what he and so many people went through that are in the military. And I'm just like... I wasn't ready for it. You know, it took me a long time to integrate that. And um, the, the richness, the power of these emotions, just be prepared. If you go to a ceremony, pretend like you've never surfed and you go and you hit 12 to 20 foot breakers. And the next thing you know, you feel like you're drowning. That could happen to you in a ceremony emotionally, psychically, if you're not prepared. So I, I really want to tell everybody from a, from a, a safety perspective, Make sure you prepare yourself in, in multiple different ways before you go sit with any kind of medicine whatsoever. Because I had an extremely terrifying uh, sit on my 12th set of ayahuasca, and I don't think I will ever go back ever again. Mm. Wow. Was that the last time you did I? That was the last time, and I'm still integrating it now. And that was almost two years ago. Saw something you're not ready to see yet, huh? I saw something that was necessary for me to see that I wasn't ready to see exactly. that I needed to be slapped by so that I would truly see it. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a, sometimes it's a feather. Sometimes it's a two by four, but it's going to hit you. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I, in the moment I, I reflect it with you, with you two now, I really am grateful for it. Like I, 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 it almost brings up emotion. Like I feel my throat constricting. I feel it in my eyes. So I, I'm grateful for the slap. I really am. And also, if I, if I wasn't more careful and I didn't do any preparatory work, 
it may have fractured my psyche. I may have had true soul loss and there could have been a permanent psychosis if I didn't do some really preparatory work. And it yeah. happens to more people than you guys think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an injectable form of DMT that's um, no joke. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it's what are your thoughts on ketamine? Has this ever come up in conversations for PTSD, for veterans, or, or what are your thoughts as a mental health professional when it comes to so, ketamine? Um, yeah, the MAP stuff, I've done the trainings, I've done, um, I think it's, I think the potential of it, <clears throat> like any other tool in our toolkit, is amazing. I think there's a lot of Hammersmith going on out there that, hey, we have this new hammer, let's, let's see everything as a nail. And so I think it, it's still figuring out its way to be used, mm. but it's a profoundly helpful dissociative. I mean, it, it, it can really help turn off that default neural network in the brain. So you have an opportunity to experience something that your ego or your normal function wouldn't allow for. What you do with it, I think, is, is where all the magic happens anyway. Sure. You know, breath work is a, I've been, just as deep on the you know craniosacral table doing breath work as I have in any medicine journey I've ever done. So I mean, it, it, it's there's many different ways to get those tools. My terror of it is is that it's going to fall into the Western medicine model of here's a pill to fix it, mm-hmm. and that that I think would be a same thing with psilocybin, same thing with DMTs, any of them are are that would. And I, I feel that and see that happening with a lot of people that oh you got to go do this. Where, you know, make sure you understand that it's just not a, it's not a remedy for anything. It's not a remedy. It's a tool to help you do the work, but it's not the work. That's powerful. That's powerful because anytime I think of something as a golden ticket, I'm putting the power to change outside of myself and I'm, and I'm hoping, I'm willing it to be the thing out, the external locus that's going to help me. It's going to help me change. Meanwhile, I am the only one that can evolve me by the awareness that I attract. But if I put my power in psilocybin or if I put my power in ketamine, um, then I think there could be some real trouble there. I think there could be a disempowerment actually with that type of situation. Yeah. And that, that I share that concern and I'm, I've, I've seen it do miracles though, literally. I mean, yes. Ibogaine in, in particular, I've seen that's a, that's usually an experience people don't want twice. So it's, um, yeah. I've heard it's 24 <laughs> hours of just brutal hell realms. Yeah. You, yeah. you are taken to the deepest, you're facing your own death. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a very powerful tool to bring humility to someone. But I'm not called. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. No, I'm, I'm good. not called. I'm good on Abigail. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 but for those that have no hope, it's, it's something that can actually really powerfully be used as a tool yeah. to put a wedge into their ego that allows them to see some daylight. Yeah. Mm. So fantastic. So breath work and embodiment, how are they connected? You know, what's really beautiful is um, yesterday I did a I did a live with a gentleman named Ben Stewart, and he was the director for the Psychedelica series on Gaia. And he asked me something similar. He, he was like, why? Why breathwork? Like, what is going on? Why is there this resurgence in breathwork? And I again, because I've been pouring myself more and more to the King James Bible, I really and again, I'm not a religious person. I don't, I have to give this preframe. I don't think God is a bearded dude in the sky. I'm, I'm learning from these religious texts because I want to take the wisdom that applies to now. So what I'm about to say is, you know, in the beginning, there was the word. That's the, that's the opening passage, right? To the text of the Bible. But, but guys, think about this. Before there was the word, there was a breath. You can't speak if you're not breathing. Like if somebody cuts off my airway, I can't speak. So before there was the word, there was the breath. So literally, truly, figuratively, any way you want to see it, breath is life. And we sacrifice the way that we breathe because we develop these coping strategies to stress. We all become, as Dr. Belisa Vranich calls, we all become vertical breathers instead of horizontal breathers. So we have a society of people that have tight scalenes, tight sternocleidomastoid, their pecs are rolled in, they're kyphotic, they're not breathing through their diaphragm, 
They don't know anything about how to take a 360-degree breath. They don't know what a belly breath is. And if that, they, they most likely, a lot of people are reverse breathing pattern people where on an inhale on an inhale through the nose, their belly will actually go in instead of go out. I've yep. seen this a lot. And in our breathe program, um, which I got really cool clearance, I, I did uh, Dr. Belisa's training. I've done a lot of different trainings in breath, but um, I, with her blessing, created a program called Breathe, Breath, and Wellness. And that's at breathwork.io because it's changed my life so much. It's helped me so much with my anxiety. I have a tendency to be anxious. I'm a pretty tightly wound dude. And so I need to really be. We're wired for a sense of impending doom. (laughs) That's what it feels like. It feels like that at times. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest gift I've ever received. To that awareness? To the awareness that it's that impending doom feeling experience in my body Mm. can be met with other feelings besides impending doom. Sure. And the contrast between that depth of hell allows me to actually see heaven. More importantly, embody it, feel it in my body. And I think that that breath work that I really want to get into your breath work more. I mean, how do you, how do you watch somebody become more embodied or how have you experienced yourself become more embodied? Um, I'll flash back. I had a gentleman here a couple months ago. And I have a, I have a PEMF mat here in the studio. I have hot and cold. And then I have my, my catharsis training, which is the longer, more circular breathing. And I, I watched him come in kind of as a, a bundle of nerves where he was going through a divorce at the time. And, um, he was really just traumatized, really sad, but he never had a channel or, or a way to articulate his emotions, kind of a, a type just, um, everything always on the phone, everything has to be perfect within a good 45 minutes. I found that he had an improper breathing pattern. So this is what I do with everyone for embodiment. I lay them on their back. I place a towel on their stomach. I put a five pound weight on their belly and I just cue them to breathe. And right away, and it's about half the people I'll notice that when they take a big inhale through their nose with their jaw relaxed, their belly will actually go in. So they're just, they're used to breathing up and into their chest And so it took about 10 to 15 minutes, but I eventually trained him to breathe and cue his abdomen to go outward uh, as he breathed in through his nose. So inhale, belly goes out, exhale, belly comes in, belly button to spine. And, And that was like embodiment that I could see, you know, I could actually physically get quantitative results from seeing his embodiment process. And then later on, we did our hot and we did our cold and we went back in the hot and I'm cueing him. And I have a certain way of talking to people to where I, I, I really can just intuitively ask questions much like I'm sure you can too, Doug, where I'm not a, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a physician of any kind, but over the course of my life and working with so many people, I just, I just know how to pause and ask the right questions. And he cried. And I think, I think tears and breath are, are, are steps towards being truly embodied, truly strong, truly integrated as a human being because he shared his love for his wife. He shared his sadness for what they're going through. And, and it was really like a huge catharsis moment for him. And then, of course, when I brought him here on the PEMF mat, the catharsis continued because we had already had that safety that was established. And so that's that has happened for him just like it's happened for me. I've trained with Gwen Payne and Anahata Ananda and Niraj Naik. I spent 30 days in Thailand. I've done a lot of things to where I feel really confident and really, really calm about, about teaching others about breath because I've had so many experiences myself of out-of-body experiences, lots of crying, lots of shaking. You know, as you know, we get the clam hands, the, the hypoxia that happens when we do these longer styles of breath as well. And so all this does is it, is it moves the chi, it moves the prana, it moves the energy in our body that was essentially stuck. You know, all these meridians in our body, all the, all the energy flow in our body, we don't get massaged, we don't get touched. There's not a safe space for men to share. Women feel objectified. Society makes money off of how we feel insecure about ourselves. Everything is so backwards. Everything is so disgusting to me at times that it makes me want to be even more driven. Like that's, that's really the quotient for me is like, there's so much heartbreak in the world. Ever since I was a little kid, I, I knew that adults treated each other so poorly and I knew the world was really messed up and I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. And 
my my experience as a driven is is why don't other people see it the way I do? I don't get I don't get <laughs> yeah. how sitting in fourth grade, third grade, it's like why don't you get how stupid this is, guys? Yes. Like, what, what is going on here? And it's that profound kind of humble question of really, no, wait a minute, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. In that, though, is incredibly motivating into purpose. And it, it is this, how do you embody purpose? How hmm. would you talk about that? I think if you want purpose, you have to have self-awareness. And if you don't have self-awareness, you might live someone else's purpose and call it your own. Mm. So I think in order to really have purpose, you have to know enough about yourself. You had to have gone through enough experience. There's a difference between learning and experiential learning. Experiential learning, you go through life, you get knocked down, you get kind of bloodied. Maybe you're an addict for a while. Maybe you go through broken relationships and blame it on other people and wake up one morning like, hey, the past three didn't work out. Maybe it's me. <laughs> you know, maybe it's my stuff that I'm that I'm bringing in. Um, so I think in order to have like true purpose, there has to be there has to be three or four things. There has to be emotional inventory. There has to be self-awareness. There has to be a connection with a higher power of some sort. It doesn't have to be mine, just your higher power, whatever you believe. And there has to be the, the curiosity and humility that we've talked about. Like all, all those things have to be present because life is so complex. I'm looking at this behind you, you know, this, this bridge and maybe it's New York and look at all the complexity of this bridge. I mean, to do anything in life, there's so many things that have to be welcomed in and have to be allowed space for. Otherwise it goes back to what we're talking about where I'm just white knuckling and you know, my, my drivenness actually hurts me. It actually becomes a, a disease that I, that I'm unaware of. So I think for us to have purpose, there has to be an honoring and a welcoming of all those aspects. And, and I also believe that, that purpose can shift. I think that purpose can change over, over time. Um, some people are lucky you know, some people wake up and they know from three years old, they're going to be a fireman. You know, I was never one of those people. <laughs> some people know that they're going to be a doctor. They're going to be an astronaut. They're going to be whatever. And that's, and that's their, their purpose. They're, some people call it the God given purpose, but I think that purpose can shift. So the, yeah. the answer depends on a lot of different variables. And the embodiment piece of, of, yeah, when you're in your purpose, you'll stop looking for your purpose because <laughs> you mm. know it. It's just, it's, it's, it's finally embodied. So you're, man, anything you'd want to say to people like you at 25 years old before their awakening or 21 years old, excuse me. Yeah. Or say they just had it, you know, they're driven and they're listening to this podcast and it's just occurred to them that they have that, you know, internal locus of control and they can do something about it. What would you say? If I were to talk to myself at 25, I would tell myself, slow down, take a really deep breath. I would hold my own belly. I would teach myself how to breathe at 25. And, and then I would say, once you do that enough, you'll know the right path. You'll learn what knowing actually is. You'll learn what intuition actually is. Because at 25, I didn't have intuition that was, that was razor sharp my intuition was blunted by pain and unresolved trauma and addiction and all these different things that like, you know, literally you guys, if intuition was a samurai sword, it was like somebody had made the edge to where it wouldn't even cut. Yeah. And so we have to like resharpen our intuition with life by letting go of what's blunting it. So that's what I would tell myself. And, and then also I would give myself a hug and I would tell myself it's okay to be angry it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel all these things. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you because you're feeling this stuff. Like it's all right. We all feel these ways at times because I never got that. My mom didn't have it. My dad didn't have it. Even school counselors and just people in general, they, they, they don't know how to treat the cause of, of unwellness or unrest. Most people only know how to treat the symptom. And so if a child is, is doing bad in school, what do we do? We put them in detention. We isolate them even more. 
rather than having real emotional intelligence for children. Or we, we give, give them, them a label and a pill. We give them a label and a pill. We further blunt their own intuition and we wonder why we have a society. Well, I, you and I don't wonder. Megan doesn't wonder. We don't, we, we don't have to wonder why society is the way it is because ever since we are brought into this world, we are programmed and blunted and we are homogenized and packaged and we are taught to buy things that will make us better because we're not enough. I mean, that's, that's really the undercurrent of our society and mm. I'm, I'm disgusted with it. I won't, I won't take part in it. And, um, my mission and, and I think all of us were here to make a difference in that, in that way of being. Yeah. I will say I've noticed like small little seedlings have changed, particularly in schools. My son is four and he's in preschool and they actually have, um, like an emotional intelligence curriculum where they call it yes. zones. They call it zones of regulation and they teach it by color. Cause they're so little. So my son will say, I'm in the red zone, which means he's angry. Um, and they teach them to recognize the zone, to pause, and then talk with somebody about how they act, like mm. what to do next. So I thought that was a vast improvement from a lot of the school system stuff that even I had. Tell you That's what, wonderful. In, in the early 70s, it was, I mean, when I was raised in it, I mean, ADD, ADHD, all of that was just, um, I mean, we were shamed into behaving. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that, that brokenness that I felt at 17, 18, 20s, um, you know, of, of really embracing my brokenness as the greatest gift I've ever received. Mm-hmm. And that, that is that process of embodiment for me. And it's, it's beautiful. And you are, you are, you and I are kindred spirits. We need to talk about driven taking back the world. People that think like us, that get it. And yeah. I mean, creating a movement of people that, um, you know, we're, we're biologically, and as you, I'll send you a bunch of books, you'll dive into my book. And it did, we are different. We are wired different. We have a different brain structure. We have a di- different genetic encoding, different reward system. And most importantly, we have big picture thinking and we're forced to develop insight. But as you said, at 21, at 25, we hear that insight moment. Mm-hmm. And what we do with it is what matters. And yes. you know, I love your, I mean, I love your model and we are kindred spirits and you are, yeah. Do you I mean, feel like, right in line. do you feel like, cause I haven't read your book yet, but do you, do you have a sense from your work that, that it plugs into Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, you know, separation, initiation and return because I've, I've heard that the hero's journey is literally for everyone, whether they're driven or not. But do you have a, do you feel like when people are more driven or when people have that epigenetics or their brain is wired a different way, when somebody is born into a driven being, is we, their we, hero's we, journey more intense than others? We have to go on it or we die. <laughs> that sounds it's, about right. simple to, yeah, yeah. because it, it yeah. 21 at 18, you know, living in a car sucked. I mean, it, it, it blew bad. Yeah. And at that moment of, I'm not this fucked up. I, I'm re- I know I'm not this broken. And I'm not blaming anyone else anymore because the common denominator was me throughout. But then I put it all on my shoulders for the next 15 years and tried to prove my worth by education, blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't until I got into the breath work of really this embodiment piece is really what what I want to have you on for. And you've done Mm. an amazing job showing that it it is a work in progress. And that curiosity and then being able to relinquish control and trust that the body knows what the hell it's doing way better than I do is, yeah. And so, yeah, we we will talk again after you read my book. (laughs) Yes, I'm excited. And we'll take on a topic of... How the, how do we get more driven together that actually get the joke embodied and then really to start a movement of us to, because I think we need to take back the world from the people driving it off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you know, what's crazy is they're driven in a different way. You know, these, these people, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know, you guys, I've heard this joke. I think we'll all like it. You know, the difference between a conspiracy theorist and a normal person, it's about six months. (laughs) <laughs> because, because all the things that we were told were conspiracy and weren't going to happen, they've all happened. All of it. Well, it, it, it's the way I talk about it. And 
is scary that it's going out on the podcast, but I'll say it anyway. Um, there's three kinds of people in this world. And this is from Navy SEAL land. I know Mark Devine too, but it, it's, um, there's sheep, which are most people. And then there's wolves preying on the sheep, trying to get power. And then there's shepherds that actually have heart and are actually really trying to help the sheep. So I think the battle between, I think there are drivens on the outside that are doing really scary and healthy things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know they really know it. That's what scares me the most is some people believe they're really doing good things for the planet when they're, you know, doctors are giving pills to people because they want them to get better. Right. But when they're told, hey, there might be a better way and they don't listen, that's when I want to choke people. So <laughs> that's why I and so getting people to I, listen is, is I strongly support everything that you're doing for that, for that alone. There, there's one person that I, I love so much and I always follow his work and, and I'm just constantly devouring his, his notes and his teachings. And that is Alan Watts. And he talks about in one of his lectures, I think he said something like, beware of the goody goodies, beware of the goody two shoes, because they're the signaling of their virtue and the way that they know what's best for all of us isn't always pure. A lot of times people like physicians that prescribe pills or, you know, people that say, hey, if you're not wearing a, a diaper on your face, then I'm not safe. You need to be safe so I can be safe. This type of thinking, um, it comes from fear. It comes from control. It comes it comes from a uh, contraction. Yeah, and exactly. so we we have to be aware of this. And see it for what it really is, because the greatest place for the devil to hide is in the church. The greatest place for um, self-righteous people to hide is in is in a lane of righteousness. Mm -hmm. exactly. So so we really have to be aware of what's going on in our world and take a slow um, right now, especially cautionary lens on who's delivering what content and, and how are they being paid and what's the what's the motivation? What is the come from? as to why people are going out into the market and selling things and doing things. So it's a really wild time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's just, yeah, this, this, this world that we're not designed for, but is forcing us to wake up. It's mm -hmm. forcing us to wake up. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as driven people, we have internal issues that force us to wake up. I'm hoping that the external becomes loud enough that it wakes up even more, but I trust in that. I do. I, I, I know it's not that I believe there's hope. It's that I believe that God won't implode on God's self because it's impossible. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we have to move forward. There's no choice. I mean, nature hates a vacuum. So we're either going to suffer this much or suffer this much. It's, it's just really up to us to, to come together or not. Right. You know? Right. Josh, if people are interested in some of the breathwork stuff that you do, what's the best place to send them? Is it that breathwork.io? Yes. You can, if you, if you want it, I built a three week program out of all my travels since 2016 and all my hours working with myself and clients, because I felt like in the breathwork world, there's a ton of woo and I love woo. I'm, I'm into woo woo, but a lot of the nomenclature and a lot of the ways that people were being taught in breath didn't really gel with the the everyday person, the practical person that needed to know how to calm themselves, that needed to know um, how to deal with their anxiety or their depression. So I built a three-week program for that. That's breathwork.io. And I would love to give a gift if you're open to it, um, just a discount code. So if anybody wants to start on this path, they can do that. And it's just podcast20. So if you use the code podcast20, um, you can get 20% off the program. Just thank you for having me on your show. I feel like I, I feel like I want to take this and I want to take this audio and share it with my community as well. Yeah. Because it's been such a great conversation and the questions you asked, I mean, two of them were like bomb drops. I'm like, nobody's ever asked me something like that. <laughs> yeah, the, intu the intuitive in me doesn't know why I asked them. So we're good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. You too. 
This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric, lemon balm, and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, (laughs) as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Thank you for being here with us on the podcast. You can access all the wellness and the wisdom over at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. You can get every single thing you need to access all the wisdom you have inside of your body and heart and soul right at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. If you want to be coached directly by me and be a part of this thriving wellness force global community, just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start your journey today. Get the M21 wellness guide with six science-backed practices that'll help you body, mind, and soul start your day with the right intention and the right mindset so your physical body can give you love back. That's joshtrent.com forward slash M21. Start today. I'm waiting for you. You have the community right here, right now at your fingertips. You just have to have the courage to take the first step. joshtrent.com forward slash M21 to get your free 21-day six-part science-backed guide.